today it's raining outside it is gray and it is wet but the funny thing is that has nothing to do with my low mood I wish it was that easy I wish it was that simple I wish I could look at a picture or a video of beautiful scenery with gorgeous foliage and unlimited sunlight and feel that much better and that fast but it's not the case just wanted to talk today a little bit about how I've been feeling and the fact that I'm in low mood but I am not in a depressive state um, and just kind of what got me here and what's on my mind thanks for your compassion listen in Sometimes I get down. I'm sure you do too. And sometimes when we get down, it's hard to get up. The very thing that has us down is a massive weight on our shoulders and on our chests because it is the very thing that we have that we can't get rid of. And therefore, the problem cannot be absolved. It cannot be taken care of. It can only be maintained. And therefore, you continue to reel and be upset and be hurt and harmed that this thing happened to you, this diagnosis. Here stands Season 2, Episode 7 of Imbue Podcast. This is just me talking about being in a little bit of a low mood. Listen in. Hello, everybody. Hoping everybody's doing well. As always, I'm sending all of my best to every single one of you. And thank you for listening as well. I I really want to say that as well. Um, As I said in my, I guess, teaser... I am feeling pretty low mood today, Um, not depressive, but low mood, just not feeling like myself, and you know how it gets when you get like this, it's it's hard to get out, you know, we can tell ourselves positive things, we can speak gently, but that means that sometimes we just keep afloat, it doesn't necessarily mean that we get out of it doesn't mean that we get past it sometimes we're just keeping our head above water and that's kind of how I've been feeling right now and I want to apologize in advance for any background noise I'm I'm right now I'm taping taping (laughs) I'm just dating myself in my um, in my living room by my workstation taking a quick break but I had my meeting with my psychiatrist last Thursday, and I was doing fine. I was in a good place. Um, I wasn't hypomanic or anything. I was just, I think you could say that I was in euthymia. (laughs) I was doing really well um, and taking care of myself and feeling more up but not ecstatic, not euphoric, just like me on a normal day. 
you know, I guess like me before on a normal day. Which is hard for me to say because it's just like, will there ever be normal days like that? And again, in the sense of it not being thymia, in the sense of it just being me feeling like myself. I have a little hope. My doctor did say that she wanted to take me off of my mood stabilizers to see how I do. Um, which is strange to me because she's really on me about trying to figure out whether my mood was hypomania or if I was just, you know, getting out of depression in a a normal, healthy way, which is what I took it to be the whole time. I worked really hard, you know, I got back into yoga because I, I had, t- had a deficit and I, and I stopped um, doing yoga for about three days um, and that's when my depressive episode came on um, and I had my lady time, yes, my lady time, <laughs> and um, then depression ensued, um, but shortly after that, you know, passed and um I got back into doing yoga and and even picked up running I was I was fine I started to do better I you know went day by day it wasn't you know just snap one day and I was I was there it it took time it took time but sometimes I feel like there's a self-fulfilling prophecy and not necessarily self-fulfilling but a fulfilling prophecy when your psychiatrist or when somebody has enough suggestibility to you um, and you think as much or think enough about what they say, um, you you start then to get yourself into that mode. And when she started to attribute it to hypomania, I think what happened was I started to get myself into that mode. And I think I had what was my first hypomanic experience, but I'm still not sure. She told me to go to the hospital um, if I if I went into hypomania, and I had this. It was just like the heavy pit in my chest went away. Um, it it kind of just dissipated, and I didn't feel euphoric or elated or anything like that. I just felt like that pit in my chest was gone, all of a sudden, um, and colors seemed brighter if that made any sense, or if that makes any sense, pardon me, and, um, it was, it was nighttime, I had just taken my pills, um, it was time to go to sleep, because the, the Seroquel nap-nap was coming in, the Seroquel nap-nap, um, the Seroquel-itis, okay, I'll stop, um, was coming in, um, and I didn't go to the hospital. I told my mom the next day um, what I think might have happened, and she still doubts it. Um, I just don't know. And if I'm completely honest, I'm terrified to go back to the hospital. I don't even like going there to see my psychiatrist. And to think that if I go into hypomania, I have to go back in and actually stay there so fucking scary to me. If you listen to my first episode, you'll know that I didn't have a good diagnosis. I didn't have a good stay. 
at the hospital. I didn't have a good, my introduction to bipolar one and being diagnosed was, was traumatic. Um, it, it's traumatic for all of us because who the heck wants this disorder, right? But it was just such a scary time for me. And I still get flashbacks of being there, of being downtown. And I'm terrified of going back there. I'm so terrified of going back there and feeling like I was in a prison. And I felt like I was in a prison when I was in the hospital. Sorry for the background noise. I first stayed in this place called Spruce, and it was literally like a cell, like a cell block, and I had my own cell. Um, I slept on a cylindrical, a um, cube-like bed on top of cold concrete, and I was always freezing. I was always cold. And then I had to take a shower in this disgusting shower room where I would have to press the button to get the the shower to go while standing on a towel and my feet were completely covered in in dirty water from the overflowing pipe. Sorry, it's the laundry. Um I have to wait for that to get warm. And that was me standing in that crap while waiting for it to get warm. I don't want to go back to that. You know, and even then when I wasn't in Spruce, the showers in the hospital aren't nice. You know, there's that weather and another one that it's the same kind of thing. You got to push it until the water starts. The only one that was nice was in the um, the eating disorder ward, and I only got to stay in there because I was more stable and um, I was leaving. I am so sorry for the noise. It's actually pissing me off. Um, I'm so scared. Having bipolar 1 is... scary thing it's not knowing just like bipolar 2 but it's not knowing when you're going to your mood's going to change it's not knowing when your mood's going to change and maybe you experience psychosis or you don't feel like yourself you you don't know when your mind's going to play a trick on you you know It makes you feel like a monster. And it's scary. How can I be a monster if I'm afraid of myself? And I'm just... I feel right now like I'm just terrified all around. I'm scared to go back there and I feel almost like I should just call and go. Get it over with. Rip off the band-aid. Why don't I just go? I 
if I'm gonna have to go back anyways, why don't I just go now? I'm so scared of having to go there and stay. I was in the hospital for a month and a week. You know, and my psychiatrist said to me, on that day that we talked, she revealed that I wasn't just there that long because I had nowhere to go. It was trying to make me stable. But I was pretty stable at the point of them asking me to go home or asking me, my mom if I wanted to go home, which was, I think, three weeks or two weeks from, from me leaving. But she said no, so I had to stay longer. If you guys were there, the scream that I let out it's like an animal. I think that also today I'm just kind of wrapped up in a lot of trauma. I do therapy, but I don't think that it's sufficient. And, um... It's just, it's with something called CarePoint Health. It's a Canadian thing, and it's with social workers, and she asks me a lot of questions, but I don't find that she helps. I spoke with a crisis line yesterday because I just, I got to a point where I was just so sad. I need to talk to someone other than my mom because sometimes I talk to my mom and my weight becomes hers, and I don't want that. I don't want that. And there's only so much of her being able to hear, and I'll be completely honest. Completely honest with you. I I don't, and this is a trigger warning, I don't ever want to do it, but I tell her when I feel like I don't want to be here. How hard is it to hear your daughter say that? It's hard to even say it, to be completely honest. It makes me sad to say. I had a friend say, and you know who you are, (laughs) you know, Bipolar is like a terminal illness, and it feels like one. Since I was diagnosed, I feel like my life has become like, I have to get things done fast. Before it's too late, I have to live before I, you know? And it's not about me doing anything, it's just about it taking over me. Hurting me, taking me over. worry about that. You know, I take antipsychotics and I'm always so embarrassed to say that because it's like people think that you're crazy right off the bat. Psychotics. But they're to keep me grounded. They're to keep me here. 
you know, I follow this account called Bipolar Bix, and she's always talking about psychotics and, and or being in psychosis, and her posts make me feel better. At first, I was like, hmm, this is talking about this too much, but they make me feel better because someone understands, you know? Bipolar 1 is an absolute beast, and any of your friends that have it, if you're listening to this and you're something, you have something else, keep in touch with them. Check on them often. Make sure they're okay. Because sometimes we just get sad because we are. It just hits us like a bag of bricks. And I'm not saying that's unique to just people that are bipolar 1, but... And then my, my psychiatrist said, you are the most severe because I'm bipolar 1. And it was like something like a redundancy that I didn't need to hear when I was asking her compared to cases she's seen. How am I? But she thought I was asking about the disorder in total. And she said that. And that was one of the things that sent me to spiral. I have a meeting again with her tomorrow. And I'm just... I'm not looking forward to it. I've been trying to stay stable. Doing my best. And one thing I want to say is... And I hate hate to say this, but sometimes your best isn't good enough when it comes to mental health. Because it's unpredictable, right? I know that this is sounding pessimistic, but there's certain things about it that we can't control. We can't control everything. Sometimes, it's it's a chemical imbalance, sometimes things are just going to happen. Sometimes you're just going to feel low. Sometimes psychosis is going to just trickle in. Apparently. That's why we prepare, right? That's why we have plans. That's why we ask our loved ones to watch us and to, to carefully inspect how we're being and how we're acting. You know, I've been waiting to leave my mom's house and to go move out to be by myself, and I'm terrified. <laughs> I am terrified. I'll be by myself with my dog, and I just want him to be safe, you know? If I get into psychosis, like, what if I don't notice it in time? You know? I don't want him to be scared. But there's warning signs, and we can tell. And we don't just go out. We don't just, we're not just, you know, suddenly not in existence and not there. You know? There's signs that's what the medication does. It 
I think it allows us some time. But he's going to sense that with me. And my mom says, I'm like, if I call you and I'm manic or something like that, I'm like, stay home. Do not come. She's like, I'm coming to the house. I'm like, no, stay home. She's like, I'm coming over. How can someone love me that much? <laughs> Sorry. I told her to stay home. I told her just if I call you and I say that, call the cops. Just call the cops. Get me sectioned. She's like, I have to come and see you, make sure that you're okay when you leave. I'm like, well then if you come over, you stay downstairs until they come and they get me. And, um, she said, okay, because then she has to go up and, and stay with the dog, right? <laughs> My entire life changed. <laughs> blink of an eye and I don't know how it just it's like I woke up and then this was all here this all happened and I'm trying my best to manage and I've accepted that this is what's happening I've accepted it but God, is it ever hard to, to just know that it's there? It's like the elephant in the room sitting on top of you. And this, I have this weird urge, I don't know what it is, like this weird urge to just be hugged and held by somebody massive. <laughs> And I think that's my craving for companionship. For somebody who accepts me, who makes me feel safe, even though I'm me, and even though I have this disorder that... Someone that I know that if something goes wrong with me, they'll be safe and they'll be able to protect me too. I pray for that. This is hard to handle alone, and I will be being alone soon. And I'm so scared. I've gone six months without an episode. Knock on wood. <laughs> if my dog heard me knock like that, he would be going crazy to go to the door. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm recording and you guys hear him in the background. He's, he's the best. And I feel bad for him because he's coming back to this version of me that he's never encountered. You know, I think a lot of people that have been close to what happened to me don't understand how much I do and how hard I work. I don't get the credit. I work really hard at staying stable. 
Like, so hard. You don't just get pills and you're okay. You have to maintain. People just think we just go into the hospital, get pills, come out, and we should be fine, right? I was a zombie for months. I had to come back. And I'm here now. And I just want to be here. And I have this fear of having to be more of a zombie and having to go back to the hospital and having to go back to Harbor Light. I'm so scared of all of those things. This is just me being candid and open and honest. I'm so scared. I live with a lot of fear of these things. I never want to go back to the hospital. But I know at some point that I'll have to. And... That terrifies me. I remember being in the gray room downstairs where I was locked inside. At first my door was open and they locked my door. I couldn't get out without having to knock and for them to let me out. Wearing the hospital attire. The weird wrap stuff and it's attracting everybody's hair from off the floor. Feeling filthy all the time. <laughs> Can you tell I'm in no rush? So right now, and I took a second to, well, a bit to calm down. I also got back to work. Um, but right now I'm just... I guess I'm in a place where I'm afraid to go back to the hospital. I'm worried about psychosis happening, even though I'm on antipsychotics. I'm worried about not being stable. But I look at all of these people around me, uh, friends, some people that I follow, um, and I see that they're bipolar one and they're stable and they've been stable uh, for some time and it gives me hope it gives me hope and on days like this I try to delve into that content to their content more than anything because I need that hope um, I need that hope that I'm still going to be here I need that hope that I can manage and that I can work to, t to stay stable. I spoke with one gentleman and um, he's a coach, which um, I'm planning to partake in his coaching, but he hasn't had an episode, I believe he said, in over 25 years. And I told him what I do and like how I try to stay stable and he said that I have makings of somebody that like could stay stable, that could live a, a more balanced life and you know, words like that mean something. They mean a lot. And um, I think sometimes our psychiatrists 
don't see or understand the human side of things were sometimes just case studies to them and buy the book, right? They gotta go buy the book, the DSM. And we become just like robots to them. Things that need diagnostics. And the human part is taken out. And I think that's what the case was with my psychiatrist when I spoke to her on Thursday. Um, the things that she said were... I, I, my, my mom would argue they were ill-mannered. Um, but they were not, not answering questions that I asked. They were not um, based on my human side and, 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 and trying to see... You know how I've been doing in my progress it was it was diagnostic and then I ended up slipping into a, a hypomanic or like I, I still don't know a hypomanic state briefly after thinking about it so much and going into a depressive state or not a depressive state but a low mood state because of everything that she had said It, um, I really do believe in the power of suggestion, and I think that it can happen to us. I think it can happen to anybody. But I've been trying to keep my head above water. Um, I'm trying to get out of the place of just sitting here and thinking something could happen any minute. Um, knock on wood, like, that's what I've been sitting here thinking, that's what I've been thinking all day, my entire body has just been, felt off to me, because I've just been thinking about all the things that can happen, and I don't want to be there, I don't want to be there, I don't want to think that, I don't, I, I want to be present, I want to enjoy the time that I have. And it's so hard and frustrating when you can't get out of feeling the way that you feel. And I would attribute that to mood stabilizers. I think they make us, and this is not me saying to anybody to stop taking their medication. I'm certainly not, but I think that they make us heavier in a way. They make us stuck in the places that we get, the, the sad places especially. But I don't know. I try in these times to think of what would make me happy. I try to think of what's making me so sad. And sometimes there's no answer for eight for either. It just is, and I just am. But I'm thinking of calling the crisis line again just speaking to somebody. It's funny, I knew this woman, I don't even want to call her that, this person. Um, this was my first roommate when I was in Harbor Light, the one that was peeking at me from behind the curtain and was angry, angrily peeking at me and would follow me um, and abuse the nurses and stuff. She already had, um, she had, uh, a court case against her, 
uh, for assaulting two nurses, taking, ripping their masks off their face. I think her name was Marie. I, I, I can't remember. Um, but I, I even forgot my point. Um, but I remember, oh yeah, I remember she used to sit down and she always called the, always called the, um, crisis lines. She would call one after the other. She'd call one, talk to them about her problems and stuff like that. Just talk to her about the things that she wanted to talk about. Once they stopped, like, really saying what she wanted to say because she wasn't getting enough, um, not feedback, but enough, what's the word I'm looking for? Sometimes admiration, sometimes coddling, what have you. She'd hang up on them and then call another one. She'd hang up and call back, hang up and call back. So she'd get a different person. Um, like I said, there's some of us that have disorders that are not good people because maybe they've never been good people or maybe they got the disorder and instead of, you know, trying to be positive, they decided to be cynical. And we all have cynicism in us. But sometimes I think that people can really change because of it. But in her case, I don't know which one it was, but she just wasn't a good person. But I always remember that. And I kind of hate calling crisis lines because of that. I feel like I'm taking up their time when they could be helping other people. But the one that I called yesterday really made me feel a lot better. Um, and I think that they, they're very qualified in, to, to do what they do, and I think they really help. Now, the care point line that I, I speak to, she helps, but in a different way. I think that she primes memories and thoughts for me by asking questions um, that make me think and consider but at the same time I think that I need more than that um, which is why I'm going to be looking into a psychologist at some point uh, to speak to and Lord knows that's going to cost a whole wagon of money but I need it I I need help with getting better with recovery I need help with with managing all of this and managing the thoughts of it because I feel negatively, obviously, about being bipolar one. You know, people say embrace it. You know, it is what it is, that kind of thing. But for me, I'll be okay and I'll forget about it. And then certain things like talking to my psychiatrist when she gives me when she's sitting there trying to diagnose me or di diagnostic, <laughs> do running her diagnostic, uh, like windows, um, it just gets me down. And I don't want to be in that place. And I'm trying to be happy today. I'm trying to get back into being more positive and to not feeling so heavy. I'm doing my best. 
and I have to remind myself of that. And for anyone else out there that is in a low mood state or is down or is just not themselves, you're doing your best. Rest when you need to. I, I had to be told this. Rest when you need to. Keep yourself busy but not too busy. And do things that make you feel happy and excited and enjoy yourself the best you can. I really hope that recovery and stability is like being happy again. I really hope that's what being stable is like. For some reason right now, I'm not considering myself stable. <laughs> I was before, but... I wonder if, if being stable and not having an episode for however many years is like being happy again. And, and how can you get to that? How can I get to that? You know, I wonder. That gives me hope. That's what I have my eyes set on. And my heart. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so sorry about the background noise and about the emotionality. I just figured that I would come on here and be my authentic self for you. Thank you so much for your compassion and for listening. Please follow, please rate, um, I would say, and subscribe <laughs> to the podcast. It really helps. It makes me feel nice too, I'll admit. Um, just hit that little follow button. But um, I do post episodes once or twice weekly, typically. Um, I like to get on here and talk to you guys as often as possible. Because it might be good for you and cathartic for you, but it's also cathartic for me. That being said, thank you again for listening and have a great day.